Welcome to Compliance Pointers, where we take an in-depth look into the latest news, trends, and challenges surrounding information security, privacy, and marketing compliance. Let's dive in with your host, Jordan Eisner. Welcome to Compliance Pointers and Happy New Year to our listeners. I'm your host, Jordan Eisner. Um, Before I I introduce our guest today, uh, I did want to remind everybody listening to subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. Today, I'm joined once again by Brandon Breslin and John Barbia, both of whom you may recall from our previous episode where we explored beginning the PCI DSS 4.0 transition. Brandon is a senior manager from our assurance group and the leader of our PCI practice. He's been working at PCI for the better part of a decade and the last year around there here at Compliance Point. John is a senior security consultant on Brandon's team and a fellow QSA, a qualified security assessor. He's a broad background in several technical areas and has spent his recent years focused on PCI and the like. So today we're picking back up on PCI DSS 4.0 and what's new with a focus on some of the prominent control families and how they could impact your existing program. So Brandon, let's start with you. We talked in the earlier episode around planning for 4.0 assessments, and now we're talking more specifically about the new requirements. Can you give an overview um, of what's changed with respect to the new requirements? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jordan. And thanks for having John and I on today again. So really 4.0 is it's a massive overhaul, right, of the new standard. Most for those that are familiar with PCI, usually the council will refresh the requirements around every three years or so. Uh, 4.0 is definitely the largest change that they've had. It's it's more modern now. It incorporates new technologies and processes that are available. Previously, it was very static. Now it's very dynamic to to be more inclusive of some of those um, modern solutions that we see out there in the industry. As it relates to the changes, there's really four pillars or goals that the council has called out in the new standard. Uh, Continuing to meet the security needs of the payment industry. There's the dynamic piece right there. Promoting security as a continuous process. That's more of that uh, orchestration, if you will, or continuous uh, compliance. Um, adding flexibility for different methodologies and enhancing validation methods. So that's going to come into play on more of the reporting side. Um, In regards to the changes, we will dive into those here, but there's kind of a few different buckets. Um, Changes in managing risk, identification and authentication, cryptography, vulnerability management, um, personnel training and handling, as well as new service provider requirements. Okay. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's pick one of those. And how about evaluating and managing risk to an organization? Why don't we dive specifically in that one? Brandon, why don't you, we'll stay with you on that one. Yeah, for sure. So the biggest change that those that are familiar or maybe not as familiar with the new standard, you've probably heard the buzzword already of targeted risk assessment or targeted risk analysis. These are going to be around managing risk. So we talk about one of the goals being promoting security as a continuous process that includes frequencies of different intervals right so in the new in the in the previous standard in 321 there were defined frequencies that every organization had to follow but that's just not realistic in today's modern society of different processes and technologies so companies now for some of these requirements they can define their own frequency based on the risk to their organization for that specific control 
Um, so they can determine their own intervals based whether it's monthly, you know, for um, specific anti-malware scans or weekly or daily, right? For as an example, um, there's also a new customized approach option um, that allows previously in the old standard, there was only defined um, approach. So every requirement was cut and dry of what you had to follow. Now you have um, a much more um, option, a much more, uh, you know, generic option for being able to get to the compliance state for that requirement. Um, and then more specifically for one of the new requirements that are around managing risks, now organizations have to do a, conduct a review of all hardware and software that they use on an annual basis. Okay. All right. Well, let's shift. Let's go to John for this one. John, tell us about the identification and authentication changes. Uh, so multi-factor authentication uh, into all CDE systems is uh, required. So, um, you know, if, you, if you're in an accounting department and your system is a CDE system, uh, that employee has to use multi-factor authentication to to log into the systems within the CDE. So um, that may require additional uh, resources and investments. So something that you need to plan for before the um, um, and and get that under your belt. Um, so there's some uh, changes to MFA and the the uh, MFA has to be uh, resistant to to uh, replay and and bypass attacks um, because additional controls around uh, user accounts and and particularly service accounts. So for service accounts, they have to be uh, implemented using least privilege, uh, and you have to have additional monitoring on that and uh, review those accounts, uh, make sure that they're still required. And then there's also um, changes around uh, passwords. So um, the minimum password length now is uh, is it's increased to 12 characters. Uh, there are cases where that's not required if your system is not capable of having a 12 character password. But for for most entities, 12 characters is going to be the uh, the minimum. And then uh, if you have some kind of additional monitoring of the uh, user uh, authentication process. Uh, it, you are no longer required to change the uh, the password every 90 days. Uh, but if you don't have that in place, then you still need to to uh, uh, change the uh, password every every 90 days. So um, overall, the uh, identification and and authentication has, has become a, a lot. Uh, stronger and there's also areas that were neglected in the past such as the uh, service accounts and um, you know user account reviews that were not occurring that that have been tightened up was the password change every 90 days previously as well it was every 90 days yes uh, but if you if you have additional monitoring um, um, uh, what comes to mind is uh, you know if you have uh, monitoring of user behavior on the uh, password and you're able to detect, for instance, that, uh, you know, the, the, the password, the user account is being used outside of normal hours or outside of geographic locations, that type of monitoring, um, then the, uh, the requirement for uh, the 90-day password is, is uh, no longer a, a requirement. 
Hmm. Okay. And earlier when you were talking about CDE systems, might have mentioned it earlier, uh, but for those new to PCI or maybe not as familiar, cardholder data environment, right? Correct. Yes, cardholder data. So any system that holds um, any system that holds cardholder data, particularly uh, card numbers in RAM um, or transits across the network, is a is a CDE system and part of the cardholder data environment. Right. Okay. Appreciate that, John. Back to Brandon. Cryptography, obviously a key element. Data security. What's new with that in 4.0? Yeah, there are a bunch of changes regarding cryptography, kind of to hit maybe the two big ones. So now every organization that goes through compliance for PCI DSS version 4.0 has to maintain an inventory of keys and certificates. So the one that immediately comes to mind, we're talking about cardholder data, right? So credit card data, debit, debit card data, um, having an inventory of keys and certificates that are used to protect that data specifically. Um, so that would be encryption algorithms, as well as if you have an external web application, for example, and you you have um, a CA certificate of some sort uh, protecting that transmission um, for the tunnel encryption as well, that would be included in there. Um, and that would be specifically for keeping track of all the algorithms, the protocols, the key strength, right? Um, that could include the key custodians as well. Um, as it relates to ensuring that vulnerabilities are discovered in that software, that's, this inventory will also help with that, um, knowing what the latest version of the software is, the certificates and the algorithms to make sure you're staying up to date there. And we're um, talking physical hard keys, right? So this is actually in, we talked a little bit earlier about incorporating modern technology. Most of the solutions now are going to be virtual keys. So right. you've got, you know, for example, we're talking about both encryption and transmission as well as encryption and storage. If you've got um, a website that's using TLS 1.2 and you're creating new session keys on every single user that's coming to your site, those are all going to be virtual encryption keys. Got it. Yep. Yeah. I just like to picture a huge key ring. <laughs> all these different keys for this. Love it, love it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I was going to say one more big one as well in the cryptography space is uh, key cryptographic hashing. So, you know that that in, that inventory of keys and certificates is most prevalently going to be in the transmission space. So the key cryptographic hashing is going to fall more into the storage space. Um, so. For example, if you're storing card numbers, credit card, debit card numbers in a database, um, previously you could, you know, if you were just storing the full pan in an encrypted format, now you need to have um, hashes to render that pan unreadable have to be key cryptographic hashes. So to be more specific, that's gonna be a function that incorporates a randomly generated key, right? So similar to salting and passwords, you now have to do quote unquote salting for encryption key storage. Okay. Uh, moving along, so I wanna ask about vulnerability management. Um, we'll go to you for this one, John. And interested in what's changing because you know we have a cyber team here at Compliance Point. Uh, a lot of times it's them engaged with our clients on PCI, even though you guys QSAs are working with them so it can be independent of one another. And, 
I know there's a lot of back and forth about the changes. We need to be doing this more often. And 4.0 is going to require this. And for a lot of different things, walk us through, right? What's what's changing with vulnerability management with 4.0? Uh, I think one of the big changes uh, is authenticated scanning. Um, so for vulnerability scans, um, if you haven't been doing authenticated scanning in the past, um, it's a best practice until 2025. I, highly recommend that you don't leave it until then to get this one under the belt because uh, if you haven't done authenticated scanning, basically you're giving the scanning tool the rights to identify what is on the machine um, and you become you may get a um, a surprise as to how much more your scanning tool discovers using um, authenticated scanning. Um, so the um, vulnerabilities that are identified um, that are low and medium in the past, um, you were technically required to remediate them, but most entities put them on the back burner. Um, your policies need to um, determine um, together with a risk analysis um, how you, how often or how long it, um, those vulnerabilities need to take to, to be remediated. Uh, and then you have to address the low and medium vulnerabilities. So that's another one of those that you want to get, get that um, under your belt prior to, uh, to the full implementation of PCI 4.0 next year. Um, the a new one which hasn't really been addressed in PCI before is uh, is payment uh, page script and in-browser um, tamper detection. So that is where um, you know you have an inventory of all the scripts that are authorized to run on a browser uh, in the browser window or to load into the uh, to the web page, and then in-browser detection. So um, there are different uh, techno uh, technologies or, or techniques that can be used. Um, so they, it could be uh, like behavioral behavioral analysis. So that's similar to the antivirus that uh, that saw behavior that um, you know um, software that is is running in a way that looks suspicious. Um, or you can also have a cryptographically signed um, scripts so that the integrity is checked um, before the script executes in the browser. So there's, uh, there's a lot of new technology um, that needs to be implemented and, and uh, addressed for that requirement. Um, for remote connections, um, similar to, to what you would have with Citrix, where uh, you have somebody remotely connect, connecting to a system and they can they may be able to see or work with cardholder data. You have to uh, prevent copy of the uh, cardholder data. So um, the user sh is not, uh, should not be able to um, download a, a copy to their local drive and work with it locally. Uh, uh, penetration testing. Um, this is not really a new requirement. There's just clarification on this, but um, entities need to be aware of it. 
Um, so there's definition of what uh, what is considered an internal and an external penetration test and where the um, where the test occurs from. So um, testing needs to occur both from inside the CDE um, as well as from outside the CDE um, from you know block that would be like from the uh, from the out of scope or from the corporate network into the CDE. Uh, so that um, those changes um, are uh, you know, result in a, in a much more um, robust vulnerability management uh, process um, yeah. in CI Florida. No kidding. Okay, something for our listeners to to revisit. There was a there was a lot there to unpack. Yeah, I, think, I guess Jordan, if I can add on to just one plug in the vulnerability management, you know category here while we're talking about all of these future data requirements that don't necessarily have to be implemented until 2025 the one that i really want to call out is that john mentioned was the authenticated scanning we would highly recommend for those organizations that are already planning out your move to 4.0 or actively building out some of these new controls and processes and procedures to really look at going to authenticated scanning as early as possible while we are in that grace period you you really don't want to get to a point where you're blindsided by a lot of critical and high vulnerabilities that come out from those scans that you may not know about until you go down the route of authenticated scanning and then you're really you know you put yourself in a position to where you can't remediate that in time um, and you're jeopardizing your compliance status so it's definitely something to to, to think about of moving earlier than normal. Okay, all right, very insightful stuff. So, so Brandon, back to you, um, talk about training, right, with the organization. So what has changed, if anything, with training your staff? Yeah, absolutely. So as everyone knows in the security and compliance space, people are always the most vulnerable element. Um, and that's 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 until AI replaces all. Of yes, them, right? exactly. It's going to be extremely secure. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so as it stands now, <laughs> people are still the most vulnerable uh, part of the organization, right? As it relates to security and potential attacks out there, and it's evident within the new standard that the council is aware of that and really trying to hammer home the. Um, objective of ensuring your your staff are trained appropriately in security and compliance and handling cardholder data appropriately. Um, a couple of the new requirements that they've called out within training and security awareness is now the program has to be reviewed annually. I know this seem this may seem like a small one, but it can have a pretty big impact just because of the consistent changes in the industry with new processes, new attacks that are out there, new ways of handling data. Um, I personally firsthand, and I'm sure John has as well, have seen many organizations, security programs, you know, built 10, 15 years ago and are never updated. Um, so you're really training your personnel on old, old ways of handling data, um, old security attacks that are out there that may that may be either extinct or are not relevant nowadays um, as well as not incorporating some of those new attacks that are out there and then I, I would call it a cascading requirement even though it's standalone 
is the new requirement for phishing um, and social engineering training and controls that have to be put into place. So um, phishing just in a simple form is, you know, if, if somebody receives, for example, a malicious link in an email and they click that link and it in, can impart malware onto the environment or onto their workstation, that's just one example of phishing. So the new requirements now have to incorporate training on preventing employees from clicking on malicious links. So checking, you know, email headers and and checking who the 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 sender was and um, were there any other recipients copied on that, as well as uh, incorporating controls from a technical standpoint to ensure that in case an employee does click a link on an email that's malicious, there are protections, whether it's browser protections or local protections to ensure that that cannot impair the cardholder data environment. What about smishing? Anything on <laughs> smishing? That, I would say that that's still going to fall into that same category, right? While they didn't call out that specific you know, type of SMS attack, that the controls would still be in play. Let's say you have, an, you have a process that includes um, handling of mobile devices for, for payments of some sort. That would definitely be included in that. Okay. Yeah, that, some of the smishing I've seen is, you know, I had a employee start for me, I guess about three weeks now, and he got a text, I think in his first or second week from the CEO. Right. So, I mean, somebody had, I don't know, either been monitoring that number. Well, I think it was his own number. He brought it on and just getting reimbursed. So they, they would have seen somewhere there's a compliance one. I don't know, obviously, the background of how that's found, but some of that's pretty sophisticated. It really is. And that's a great that's a great point about that, because that we see many organizations using mobile devices for payments, whether they're, you know, while they may be corporate owned devices, right, or store or restaurant owned devices, if somebody is logged in on that device or if somebody receives a malicious text, even if it's a spam text to a generic number and they click that link, there's still implications of that from a security standpoint. So, you know, making sure those controls trickle down all the way to mobile devices as well is is critically important. Good stuff. All right, well, let's go back to John to round us out on the questions. Uh, let's talk about service providers, requirements there. Can you go over there and, and I guess just for our listeners again, since I said new to PCI, right? There's merchants, there's service providers, right? Um, what what's what's different for service providers? Um, so for um, service providers, uh, you know, if, if we think about, uh, for instance, the requirement to to um, to determine and document your scope um, for a new requirement in, in PCI 4.0 is that all entities have to um, define and document the scope. Um, for merchants, it is annually, so you need to have a process um, where you formally um, define what your CDE systems are, what you're connected to, or security providing systems are, and that that process results in documentation such as your um, network diagrams and the inventory documentation and, and data flows and stuff like that. For service providers, um, the requirement is to do it, um, to do that more often. Um, so there are 
there's also requirements around uh, cryptographic architecture for uh, service providers. So uh, you have to have documentation around what uh, what your what cryptographic algorithms and protocols and keys are in use, um, and um, yeah, for service providers, the, the the requirements around that or what needs to be included is more uh, is more stringent. There's also vulnerability requirements. You know, in the past, very often we saw that. Um, entities found out that an encryption algorithm has been deprecated after the event occurs, um, and there's suddenly a mad rush when you're doing your PCI assessment to to uh, to come up with a plan on how you're going to replace that. Um, so the approach going forward is that the um, that that needs to be built into an ongoing process where you where you perform reviews. Um, to determine whether the that the encryption that you have in use is is still appropriate for its purpose. Uh, another requirement for uh, for service providers, which is new, is that the uh, intrusion detection or the intrusion prevention uh, system or technology you have in use has to uh, detect covert communication channels. Uh, so, for instance, if you had somebody, if you had a breach, and somebody was exfiltrating data using a covert uh, uh, communication channel, such as DNS. So, DNS queries are normally pretty small and low traffic. Your intrusion detection system needs to be able to detect when it's not um, uh, DNS traffic being exfiltrated from the network. Um, and then service providers also have to provide uh, support for their customers' compliance efforts. So uh, two documents that come to mind, um, firstly, is that uh, when the entity requests your AOC, you have to be responsive and uh, provide that um, because that's what they what the uh, what the merchants require for their, PCI assessments, uh, but also the uh, the responsibility matrix, where you clearly define what your responsibilities are as a service provider and how you support um, or meet the requirements for PCI uh, for those merchants uh, when and provide that for them both when you engage um, or. Um, enter into a contract as well as on an ongoing basis when when they need that. Okay, all right. So, good bit to unpack with that one too. Um, any closing remarks, I guess, John or, or Brandon on, on any of those service provider we just went over, but any of the other ones, we've, we I feel like we've covered a lot of topic, right? In a, or a lot of content in a short period of time here. Yeah, definitely. I think the only other remark I was going to mention is just kind of as a recap from our previous episode, really want to, you know, as you guys are thinking about for your organization, thinking about these new requirements, thinking about how you want to, you know, quote unquote, attack PCI 4.0, really make sure you have a plan in place, right? Don't just dive right into the requirements and, and start thinking, oh, what do I need to deploy? What processes or technologies do I need to, to to purchase and put in place? 
because that can get very expensive and, you know, and maybe unnecessarily expensive in some cases. So really make sure you you first think about plan, you know, get together with other personnel on your team, your executive management team, making sure that you're incorporating all the different, you know, departments in your organization that need to be included and really determining which specific technologies or processes or controls that need to be implemented first before you go down that route. Definitely. Okay. I think what what comes to mind uh, to me is don't wait until March of 2025. Um, you know, these new requirements are best practices until then. Um, but in a lot of cases, uh, you know, the, these these technologies and these processes are going to take time um, and resources and and don't leave it till the end and don't don't find out what the new requirements are during your first full PCI 4.0 assessment because um, I think that is a recipe for failure. Yeah, good point. Sage wisdom from the two of you. So uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, John, once again for your time today. Thank you to our listeners as always. And and for our listeners, you know, I'd add a specific plug here today. I'd say if you find yourself seeking PCI support, um, a third party attestation, advisory consulting support, we've been doing it for the better part of two decades, right? And here's just two of our experts from our team. We'd love to chat. You know, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Um, like most companies, we have a website, right? If you feel uh, maybe better just going to the website and exploring there, a lot of good content and resources there. Uh, it's compliancepoint.com. You can email us at connect at compliancepoint.com. That's also listed on our website, or you can please feel free to reach out to Brandon, John, myself directly on LinkedIn. Uh, and, and hopefully we can help solve some of uh, your PCI questions, heartburn, um, nervousness, you name it. So. Happy 2024 to everybody. We'll see you next time.